we are on week three, free to sin series. We've talked about weeds, we've talked about trees. Now we're going to talk about a garden. Fun? Fun. You guys, it's going to be interesting today. So sin, what we learned in the garden was that everything with God is about relationships. So for human beings in general, everything about us, the way that we're built, the way that we work, um, the needs that we have, the place we find joy, peace, and purpose, life, joy, hope, all this kind of stuff, we find it inside of relationships. And so what happens in the garden is we see that when all things are set right, when we are relating to God properly, when we are, if you would, interacting with Him in the way that we were created to, we also begin to interact with everything else around us the way that we were created to, with creation, with our neighbors, with our, our spouses, our children. And so it all starts with that relationship. And so how that relationship goes, how our walk with God goes, it affects every other relationship in our lives. And the lie that we have to deal with today is that, is that life and happiness are about other things outside of relationship. Um, if you were to stop and kind of examine what you see on Facebook, what you see on TV, you are plastered with this image that, that happiness comes from these things being successful, being uh, respected, having power, having influence, having money, you know, uh, having homes and cars and, and clothes. And, and what happens is we are plastered with this idea that, that true joy comes from everything else but relationships. And what's so funny about that is, is relationships is the one thing that every single one of us has access to. We all have access to people. We all have access to God. We have the ability to find uh, purpose and joy and hope, but we are convinced that that's not the place where joy and peace and happiness come from. And so our entire world drives us, it pushes us. And so we work crazy hours, we, we, we make decisions, we do all these things that add pressure to our lives because we're trying to find purpose and happiness in places outside of relationship. Um, have you guys ever had that moment um, with your spouse or with a friend or with a child um, where it just, the entire world makes sense? Just for a second. Um, we were at the, uh, where was this? We were at the conference this week, you know, and for the last session I wanted to be in there with the team. I wanted to encourage them. You know, I wanted to be around them. I wanted them to know that I was engaged with them, you know, and so like the last session was always really good, but it was my turn with Rachel. And so she had just fallen asleep, and I was about to sit down inside this, you know, auditorium, and she starts to kind of move. And I'm like, oh, junk. It's not going to work out. So I have to run outside, and, you know, the noise and the people, she starts crying. And, I, you know, and so I find myself outside, you know, of this church, and, and you know, I'm missing what I, uh, what I drove all the way down here to get, right? And, and then all of a sudden, it just hits you, right? Wait, this is more important. Right? And it's just, we have these moments where we realize what life is about. It is about relationship. How we relate to God, to our neighbor, to everything. It all starts with this walk with God. And so sin, the very basis of sin is that it comes and it separates. It comes and, you know, it, it divides. It brings disruption to shalom. And this idea of shalom it's this idea where everything is in right order. It's not just peace. It's not just things being quiet or still. 
It's things being in the right order. And so what sin does is it takes the order and it just messes things up. It, it brings chaos. And so what we have to understand about sin is that primarily, if you're taking notes, write this down. Sin separates. Sin separates. A verse for that. Um, Isaiah 59.2. I won't go there, but and so understand that what happens with sin is that when sin begins to creep into our lives, it instantly begins to separate us in the relationships which matter most. And so it always starts at the top. It always starts by separating us, by, by trying to break loose, if you would, us and God. And then it starts to break loose us and our spouses. And it, you know, it, it tries to break loose us and our family and our friends and, and our children. And it begins to break these relationships. If you've ever been uh, addicted to anything, work, drugs, alcohol, gambling, lust, you are able to see this pattern. It starts small. It, 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 it feels private. But somehow this sin just begins to creep out and it begins to separate us. It, it begins to back us into a corner where it's only us in sin. And what happens is we become so separated from our loved ones, from God, from His presence, that we begin to feel like sin is the only choice we have. And so this small choice which we made, which started to create the separation, to create the isolation, all of a sudden this lie becomes that this is all we have in life now. And it's hard for us to understand why someone who is who's addicted to drugs or to gambling or, you know, for us, from our viewpoint, it goes, why wouldn't you just drop that? Because obviously that is worth nothing compared to what you're losing, but they don't see it that way. Because sin continues to, to create distance between us and everyone around us. And it becomes easier and easier and easier to choose sin over choosing others. And so fundamentally, we have to remember what sin does is it separates us. And it doesn't only separate us from God, it starts there by separating us from God, but it ultimately begins to separate us from, every, from the relationships which matter most. And what's crazy about sin is that sin might actually connect us to other things. It will never connect you to healthy relationships. If you're taking notes, write this down. Sin will never connect you to healthy relationships, ever. Now, it might connect you to people, but it will be connecting you to people in a way that is harming you and harming them and harming everyone around you. It might connect you to pleasure. It might connect you to money. It might connect you to pastoring a large church, <laughs> but it will never connect you to healthy relationships with God or with anyone else. And the one thing that, that I, I am very blessed um, to have experienced at my young age is that I've had enough taste of success and failure to know now, at this place in my life, that the things that matter most are people. It's people. Because you will always need more success. You will always need more money. You will always need more sex or drugs or alcohol or adrenaline or something. Whatever else it is that's bringing fullness in your life that's not people, you will always need more of it you will become a slave to it at some point in time. The only issue is that you just haven't figured it out yet. You just want to get your business to this size, or get my income to this size, or to get the kids' college fund, or, you know, 
we always have these lies built around. If I can just get this and everything will be fine, but that is never the truth. Because Satan said, if you would just eat from this tree, everything else you want will be fine. And we continue to eat from the tree. And what's so, so impossible about this is that we continue to choose to eat from this tree when the tree of life is right there for us. We can stop at any time. But the tree of life means choosing relationships. It means choosing God, choosing our spouses, choosing the people around us. And of course, the way we see this is, in, is when Jesus he summarizes the law. And he says, the summary of all the law, this entire law, these rules and regulations to show you the brokenness of trying to, to, to relate to God this way, it can all be summed up in this. To love God with everything and then to love your neighbor with everything. To choose relationships. To choose to put someone else first. And when you begin to do this with God first and then with everyone else in your life, things begin to fall in place. But this morning, the question is, how do we change this pattern? How do we stop the tide? Once we've begun this pattern of choosing sin, how do we stop it? If you guys have your Bibles, go to um, go to Romans six verse fifteen. Romans six verse fifteen. As you guys go there, I'm just going to kind of ramble about this thing that's on my heart. Um, we're calling this this kind of sermon this morning the Garden, and the reason is that the Garden is the first uh, the first place, the first picture of this relationship of us with God and with everyone around us. It's the first place where God came to meet with us. And so it's the picture of the relationship, the way that God wants us to relate to Him and to everyone else, the garden. What happens with the garden is, in the Scriptures we see the picture of the garden, all of a sudden it becomes a burning bush, which becomes a tent, which becomes a temple, which becomes Jesus, which becomes the Holy Spirit, which becomes what? The Holy Spirit in you. And so what happens is that we have this chance to recover the garden, if you would, to, to recover the way God desires to have relationship with us. And what's so profound about this is that we don't have to go to the temple or to the tent or we don't have to travel anywhere. It starts right here. The word that Jesus used, He would say heart. And again, the way that they understood it was just the innermost, most honest, truthful part of who you are. That is considered your heart. And so, in the place where we can restore what's been lost, it starts right inside here. Romans 6, verse 15. I'm going to read a little bit today. Here we go. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. There's that word again. From the innermost, honest place in you, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that now has claimed your allegiance. There's that word again, right? The idea of lordship and kingship. Which tree are you choosing? Here we go. Verse 18, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Let's pause right there. I just love the language here, okay? 
You're a slave either way, people. Isn't that great news? Woohoo! Indentured servitude. Amen. That's not a prosperity message, I don't think. Anyway, you're a slave either way, friends, okay? It only comes down to which will we serve. And what's amazing about this is if we choose sin, if we choose this tree which Satan has tricked us into, it is this false appearance of freedom. That's what's so hard with sin. It looks like we're in control. I'm doing this because I want to do it. But it comes at a price. It's freedom with strings attached. And what happens with this is it, it, it appears to be freedom from God. It's freedom from control. We get to do whatever we want to do. But what we missed was the fine print. That for this kind of freedom, it comes at a price, and that price is our soul. What's amazing about this freedom with Jesus is that he tells us right up front, <laughs> if you want to follow me, it's going to take everything. If you want to follow me, let's pick up his cross and die daily. Southern Jesus, right? He says it right up front, hey, no fine print here. Life and life eternal. But guess what? It costs you everything. Because to get back to the tree of life, we have to go through the bloody tree, the cross. That's the only way back for us. Verse 19. I'm using an example from everyday life because, because of your human limitations. I love that. I'm using this example of slavery because you're stupid. Thanks, Paul. Awesome. Okay, uh, just as, as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. Pause right there. Remember, he's talking about the same thing that we talked about. You never have enough. Whatever this substitute is, success, money, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, you never have enough. It is ever-increasing, ever-consuming. So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Take a note, circle this part. For the wages of sin, the pay, if you would, of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right. So I think we understand what's going on here. And before we move on, just let me hit home one more time, okay? Sin is not what you think it is. Sin can have all sorts of different faces on it. At the bottom of sin, you are trying to fulfill your pleasure, your needs, your desires in any other place besides God. That is what sin is. And it can look like anything. It's so easy for us to see someone who commits murder and say, hey look, that's sin. Someone who cheats on their spouse, hey look, that's sin. See a workaholic, hey, that's sin. There's no difference between someone who goes you know, to the casino and he just has this need to succeed, to, to break through, to have more, to have more. That's the same thing as the guy who always had this new venture idea. that He always wants to you know, take this loan out for this new business and blah, blah, blah. It is the same thing, just with lipstick on it. One thing about the conference, which we went to, 
I love it for so many reasons. But the one part I don't like is it plays right into one of my weaknesses. And it is just that this, how do you put that, this need to be successful, this need to drive, to be works-oriented, to, you know, to have a church of 3,000 people, to have a, you know, whatever, okay? To do more, 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 bigger building, big, you know, more staff, more influence, all that kind of stuff. Those things are not innately wrong, but there are so many pastors, which I know personally, who have fallen into this lie that in some way their own, their own passion and need for success, for more, for money, for fame, for attention, somehow they have convinced themselves that that is actually the Spirit of God in them when it never has been at all. And they are just as deep in sin. They're just as separated from God. They have separated themselves from their spouse. Their marriages are in shambles. Their kids are, are you know, hurting because their dad is always at the office. It is the same exact thing. It just looks holy. That's why Jesus nails us. He nails us with love the Lord with everything and then live for your neighbor. To this day, I have not found a single sin which I could go into and still love the Lord with everything in me and still live for my spouse or my neighbor or my friend or my family. It's impossible to do that. They're the best tests in the world. Is this coming out of my absolute allegiance and love for Jesus or is this coming out of a place where I want, I need Am I doing this because I'm trying to serve people? I'm loving people? I'm, I'm, you know, for my family, for my kids? Or am I doing this for me? And this morning, what's so, what's so tricky about sin is that so many of us look at our past and we say, oh yeah, that was obviously sin and that was sin. But the hard thing for you is to look at your life right now and say, okay, this is just as much sin as that was. It just looks so much better. Amen. Exciting morning. Everyone is chipper. We're laughing, having a good old time. All right. Here we go. Now we've got to talk about, okay, we all have sin in our lives. There is a place where you're not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, meaning God wants something different for you, and you don't want to do it. You want to go this way. He wants you to go that way. He wants you to give up this. You don't want to give up that. He wants you to wait for this. You don't want to wait for that. Every single one of you is in that place somewhere. The question is, where? Now, once we are honest enough to acknowledge this and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of search our hearts to show us where we are wrestling with God, if you would, the question becomes, how do we deal with sin? Now, we're using this garden analogy, right? This idea that the new garden, the place that we're able to uh, restore a relationship with God is inside of us. So let's talk about how we tend the garden. First step to dealing with sin in your life. You guys ready? Hopefully it gets a little bit lighter from here on out. We mow the grass. We mow the grass. Here we go. Straight from the notes. This is the practical things that we do to avoid sin. It's surface treatment. But it won't remove the source of sin, but it keeps things manageable. It provides us the state that we need to be able to deal with the roots. For example, we talked about this in week one, okay? You can... You can do all these great things. You can, you can pray, you can, you can fast, you can be in life groups. You can do all these things to avoid 
sin, but if you don't deal with the root of it, all you're doing is just mowing your grass, mowing weeds. We've all got weeds, and we're just mowing weeds, okay? So it might look good, but there's still these things that are just waiting for the day that we don't mow that grass, and they're going to shoot right up. But what happens is this, is we have to have the lawn mowed to be able to see where the weeds really are, to be able to focus on the roots. And so we have to understand that, that you know, these practical things we do to, uh, to avoid sin, it's not going to solve sin. It's not going to, you know, um, remove it. It's going to make us, it's going to allow us to be in a place where we can focus on getting the roots dealt with. So we have to mow first before we can take care of the roots. Um, an example, if you would have surface treatment of mowing your grass is like, if you have a problem with pornography, okay, if you always did it on your phone, Get a lock on your phone, right? Like there's apps. Does that make sense? It's a practical thing, right? That desire for the pornography is not going to go away because you have a lock on your phone. You're going to eventually, on your bad day, when you're not doing well, it's going to pop up somewhere else. But it's still smart to mow the grass. <laughs> yeah? Are you guys with me? Does that make sense? Okay. If you have an issue with gambling with the casinos, right, you give your spouse control of the money. Everyone's like, mm 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 Again, I'm not... Anyway, yeah. Talk about that in counseling. Anyways, it's just that desire in you is not going to go away. Again, on your bad day, you will find a way to get your paycheck and to go straight to the casino without your spouse even knowing. Right? Everyone's like, hey, what are you talking about? I never go to Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyways... (laughs) And so what goes on with, with this, again, it's not going to solve the problem, but it's going to help us get to a place where we can manage it so that we're able to focus on the source of the sin. The problem with the way that we've talked about sin in the church for so long is that we talk about repentance, which is crucial. We have to choose to turn away from it, but we don't talk about the source of the sin. So we talk about treating, you know, we, we train people to go to church, you know, uh, read your Bibles, be good people, but the root always comes back. It's just a matter of time. It could be a month, a year, two years, ten years. When that stress and strain is on your life and on your home, you're going to crack. And you're going to turn somewhere else to find the relief. And again, it doesn't have to be gambling. It could be anything. Anything that's not submitted to God can become sin in your life. Even things that are from God. Moms, let me mess with you a second. (laughs) Okay. I've been corrected by some dads in here who said, I'm always messing with the men. So I th- okay, so ladies, here. Your gift from God, your children, are a gift with no strings attached. But you can turn that child into an idol in a second. Because when you're hurting, when you're angry at your spouse, when you're lost, when you're confused, you can just pick that child up. You can go sit in their room. You can have them sleep in bed with you. You can get the comfort immediately from that child, whereas it takes a lot of work to get it from God. Oh, it's quiet. Man, there's sometimes there's dreams that God's put in our hearts. We are dreamers. That's the way he's built us. We are visual creatures. And so when he has a plan for our lives, he will put pictures and images. And there's these, these, these dreams that he's put in our, in our hearts. But what's so tricky about dreams is if they're not submitted to God, these can be the same things that lead us into sin. And so what happens with dreams is that when things aren't going the way we want them at work or at home, 
we begin to fixate our energy and our time on the dream that we have. And what's so crazy about it is that God put that thing there, but He put it there to be submitted to Him for His timing and for His way. And what's so dangerous for men is that we will begin, when, when we're unhappy, when we're unsatisfied with things in our life, we will begin to pursue these dreams without God. And so the same dream, the same calling, this gifting, this ability, this, this passion for this thing, which is supposed to bring life into our marriage and our family and in the kingdom, it's going to bring death. We will begin to run after it, and it's going to cause separation between us and God. All of a sudden, it's going to begin to cause strain on, the, on our marriage and strain with our kids. And all of a sudden, we're going to find this thing that was so good is now becoming something that Satan is using to bring division and death in our lives. I thought it was going to be lighter with the mowing. I'm sorry. All right, so once you guys are mowing the lawn, <laughs> it's time to weed, right? It's time to weed eat. All right. This is sin root removal, okay? In this place, we allow God to heal the brokenness in us, in the relationships, in our lives. This is how the cycles of sin are broken. Again, many of you, uh, how you put that, if you were to evaluate the last 10 years of your life, you will find cycles, ups and downs. You, you have these highs with God, you're so excited by God, and these times where it just seems like He's a thousand miles away, and you are struggling and just continually go through these cycles. And what this is, is that there are roots of brokenness and pain and disappointment that have not been healed yet. The root of the source of sin for you has not been dealt with. Understand this. Pain is always the root of sin. The reason we sin is because we are in a broken world full of broken people who hurt people and break people. As I told you before, sin breaks relationships, but sin is also the result of broken relationships. We didn't, it wasn't our fault in the garden, but we still live in this world where we are the ones who receive. We come to this world as children, and we instantly begin to experience pain and loss and disappointment, and all of a sudden we begin to do the same to others. And this is always the source of sin. I've never met someone who was fully whole and healed and had the best relationships with everyone in their life that mattered and with God and their family and then they're in sin. I've never met that in my life. There's always a place of broken relationship with God, with a parent, with a spouse, with a friend. Something happened to them. Abuse, disappointment, something happened and it sets up these walls of mistrust, of fear, of hurt, and that's what causes these these holes of sin to begin to pop up because we are trying to fill these voids. We know there are, there are these desires in us to have purpose and happiness in relationship, but we don't know how to fill the void, and so we begin to stuff whatever we can find in. And that thing we find is always some form of sin. What this looks like, it looks like this season, if you would, when we allow God to heal the roots what, will, what it will often look like is a place where you have come to a place where you're, you're able to mow the lawn. You are, you're trying your best to, to follow God, to, to resist sin. And there will be a time where God will bring the right person and the right people into your life, and they will help you begin to deal with your issues. Let me tell you, people, I'm a pastor. Y'all got issues. And so do I. We all have crazy issues. Oh my goodness. Anyway, okay, let, let, we'll edit that out. But you do, and so do I. And they don't just go away. 
We can mow the lawn as pretty as you want to, but those roots will come back up. After you've had that season where you've trusted the Lord to, to bring the healing, and again, if you're taking notes, understand that this season will try and test your relationship with God and the people around you. He will bring people into your life. You will have to use faith, which, without, which I like to use the word trust. You will have to trust God and trust people because healing is never comfortable. Healing always has some discomfort involved. All right, step three to overcoming sin. Fertilize. You have to feed that grass, right? Right, Matthew? Okay, here's <laughs> He's going to correct me after this service. Uh, you got these things wrong about the ground treatment. Anyways, it's all right, though. Fertilize. Uh, what's going on here, this is strengthening relationships. We overcome sin by investing in God and those in our lives, so we end up choosing them over that sin that would separate us from them. Um, one of the examples, uh, which kind of hit me last night when I was praying about this, um, with parents. You know, it's, it's important for us as parents to know uh, when and how to correct, but for children who have parents that are very stern and hard with them, okay? So, hey, like whenever they make a mistake, there's punishment, it's harsh, it's, it's, it's severe. What happens in this relationship is that they will begin to learn how to, if you would, sin, how to do these things that their parent didn't want to do. But they will just become experts at hiding it. Okay? One thing that is funny to me as a pastor is that some of the, the churches, which I know, that want to talk about sin every single Sunday and pound at home, and you better be afraid of sin their people are the absolute best at hiding sin. Come on, say amen. Come on. I'm telling you. Okay, I mean, they, ooh, it's not that they don't want to sin. They don't want to get caught. When I was in high school, the worst kids are the ones who had the hardest parents. You did not want to be around those kids because they were pros at hiding their sin. Now, the kids that I knew in high school who had great relationships with their parents. They respected them. They loved them. They communicated. What you would see is that they were the ones, who, even if they wanted to go do this stuff, they would always have this inner tension because they wanted to have the approval. They didn't want to break a relationship. They wanted their parents to trust them. They wanted the, the affirmation. They wanted to keep the relationship the way it was and not hurt that because they loved their parents. You can love your spouse and still be tempted with lust or cheating or all that kind of stuff. But when you love your spouse, you want the spouse more than you want the sin. And if sin is all about relationships, so is obedience. We begin to obey Jesus, not just because we're afraid of Him, but because we desire Him. And if the only motivation in your life is fear. If, if, if the only reason that you are trying to, to push away sin is because of fear, there will be a moment when fear cracks and gives way because love is more powerful than fear. But the, but the one trick about love is love must be continually fed. Love fades much faster than fear. That's the only difference. Fear can linger 
Whereas love, it needs constant investment. So after you, you, you mowed your grass, you're doing the practical things to avoid sin. You've allowed God to start to bring healing in your life through people he's brought into your life. Then it's time to begin investing, begin prioritizing time with the Lord and time with the people that he's placed in your life. And that will become a motivator. For me, whenever I face temptation or sin, my children and my wife are one of the things that's going kind to of pop into my mind. Do I want my kids to have a father who does this? No. Here's the next one, guys. We have to water that lawn. The water. Um, what this is about, this, this is about living under grace. Um, with, with, with watering the lawn, we choose the tree of life by handing over the right to judge. We enter into a life of grace by choosing to extend grace to others, which leads to healing in our relationships. Luke 6, if you guys have your Bibles, go to this verse. It's going to hit you pretty good. I like this one. Luke 6, verse, uh, verse 36. Luke 6, verse 36. Here's what it says. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Ooh. Blah. Who loves that one, right? Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't hold offense. Don't hold the wrongs against someone else, and they won't be held against you. What I love and hate about grace is that the only way for us to step into grace is to fully accept it and to fully extend it. If you were here at Grace last year, oh, if you're here at Grace, talking about Grace, okay. <laughs> uh, if you guys were here last year for the K Cup series, we went through. Uh, the parables of Jesus, and every single one of them brings up the stupid, frustrating theme of grace. And every single time, it doesn't matter what the, you know, the uh, parable was, it hits us to the gut because it makes us understand that to fully receive and to live in grace, we have to extend grace. The vineyard workers you know, was the one that hit me the most. And, and so in that, in that story, in the parable of the vineyard workers, you have these workers... <sighs> The first crew starts bright and early. The, the, the second crew starts around, around noon. The third crew starts in the afternoon. The, the fourth crew shows up to work the vineyard. And when they show up, it's almost dark. So these guys, you know, they only work about an hour. All these guys have shown up you know, to work in the vineyard. And when the boss comes out, everyone gets the same pay. But that's not fair because that person's way more center than I am. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I've been working so hard with my sin, and I look at that person. But I've been here all day working my butt off, and this person who just got here gets the same exact pay. That's the way that grace works. We either accept his terms or we don't. And his terms are very simple. We accept what he gives us, and we extend what he gives to others. We have to accept it. And so like, what's amazing is, if you're the guy who shows up last, if you're the the person whose sin is, is, is something that we probably don't want to share from the stage, hey, it doesn't matter because the person who... doesn't matter. And so what happens in this is for you to live a, if you would, a sinless life, and again, we acknowledge that we're all imperfect and you know, it's not really fully possible, but the grace of God makes it possible. The way that we live in grace, the way that we experience life without the weight of pressure, of sin, of this constant worry and fear is that we have to accept grace 
but we also have to extend grace. And so if you're someone who, who just, you deal with the weight and the pressure of your past, of your mistakes, of your imperfections, of your weaknesses, the way that we enter into this place with God where He, he lifts the weight is we have, to, we have to give up our right to judge. We have to begin to extend the same grace He's going to extend to us. It's a very painful, difficult thing because it all goes back to the garden. You cannot choose both trees. You've got to choose which one you're going to live by. Either you want to hold on to your right to judge, to know what's best for you, to know what's best for everybody else on Facebook, or not. Or you choose the tree of life and allow God to dictate what's best for you to receive the rewards and to worry about yourself. And the only, and the only way you worry about others, oh yeah, is you live and love and bleed out the rest of your life for others, not judge and criticize and critique and blame and Amen? Is that fun? Everyone's like, I don't like this. I don't either, trust me. It's much easier to judge people. I feel much better when I sit back and go, look at that loser. I'm way better than they are. I'm doing good. Man. But when I can't look at him, when I have to look at the only measurement that matters, Jesus. I guess I got some room for improvement. Right? When every single person is looking at Jesus, going, oh, so that's the example, Jesus, then every one of us is a thousand miles away going, oh, well, it's going to take a while. Yeah. Here's the last thing that takes place here. Um, This could actually be step one, but I want to throw this here at the end. With this entire process of tending the garden, if you would, you know, the first thing that must take place is, you know, if you want to have a nice garden, a nice lawn, you have to decide that that's something that matters to you. If you want to have a, you know, a life free of sin, you have to make it a choice. This is what I want. I want this, not that. And again, it takes it all the way back to the two trees. We cannot choose both. We must choose one or the other. We have to choose, do I want sin or do I want God? Do I want success, money, fame, whatever? Do I want my family? Do I want me to have everything I need taken care of? Or do I want my neighbor to have everything taken care of? What matters most to me? What this is, this is the full-hearted repentance. Nothing changes in us or around us until we honestly choose that this is what we want. Healing, life, and wholeness, they all start with choice. In, in Acts 3, verse 19, the verse says and, uh, that through repentance, if we would choose repentance, that there would be just a season of refreshing which would come from God. And I've always felt like this verse really kind of summarizes the idea of the kingdom of God, the gospel. It's not just that you get forgiveness. It's that you get relief. If you choose repentance, there is this idea of your strength is going to be restored. Your energy, your vision, your health, you will be restored because when you choose to repent, to turn, when you choose the tree of life, you get full of life. 
When you choose the other tree, it is a slow march towards death. What happens with sin is the moment that we choose sin, the moment that we choose to take control of our own lives, the moment that we choose to take care of ourselves, when we begin to choose this, we begin to separate ourselves from God, from everyone else around us. And what it is, it is this steady march of this weight just increasing on our shoulders. And we begin to be sapped of all of our energy and our life and our hope and peace and joy. And again, and then what happens is the only source of any kind of enjoyment or happiness is found in this sense. So we just keep going back for more and more and more, and we keep seeing more and more death and destruction in everything around us. But when we choose life, when we choose to turn from that, to repent, to turn away from that, and to choose God, all of a sudden there is a refreshing. We are restored. And what's so amazing about this is it happens so quickly. When we choose God, it's amazing how a marriage that's been falling apart for years or you know, some, some children who have been estranged from their parents for years, it's amazing how quickly things are healed when someone truly repents and turns to the Lord. There's healing and restoration. Would you guys stand with me?